wave at somebody, maybe even fist bump them if you can, and say, it's so good to see you this morning at church. <laughs> we find the dramatic conversion of the Apostle Paul recorded here in the book of Acts chapter 9. We're not going to go into his complete history, but in brief, Paul was a very devout Jew who hated the followers of Christ. He secured permission from the high priest to arrest and persecute Christians in Damascus. And I stop for just a moment here to remind you that Paul was fully convinced that he was doing, excuse I really need Saul at the time was fully convinced that he was doing the correct thing by persecuting the followers of Jesus. And the sad thing is today that in this story, we, I really can't just pass over this without saying there are a lot of people today that truly feel like that they are doing the right thing, fighting for the right cause, heading down the wrong road, Unfortunately, they are not. It's a very unfortunate thing that there are in the minds of many Muslims that when they strap a bomb onto their bodies and walk into a crowded street or a crowded building, when those men took over those planes on September the 11th of 2001 and flew them into those two trade center towers and into the Pentagon and one that landed, crash landed in that field in Pennsylvania that most likely was headed to the Capitol building, they truly felt in their cells that they were doing the right thing. Saul thought that he was doing the right thing until he had an encounter with Jesus. You see, on the road to Damascus with permission, papers, permission in his hand. You know, we learn in the death and the crucifixion of Jesus, we find that, that, the, that the Jews at the time had the permission from the Roman government to kind of self-rule in their religion in most ways, everything except to kill somebody or execute someone. That's why they had to go to Pilate in order to get permission from him for execution. Other than that, to beat, to torture, whatever, lock up, whatever they wanted to do, they had permission to do that. And Paul had that said permission from the priest, from the chief priests, the high priest, to be able to go and find these followers of Jesus and persecute them. But on his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus that would change the course of his life. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that I truly believe that that is still the only thing that can correct a life heading on the wrong direction. You see, I still believe that there is only one true hope for this world, and his name is Jesus. There is only one true hope for men and women that are wrapped up in a false religion and believe that it's the only way, and the only hope for them is to have an encounter with 
Jesus Christ. I truly believe that not only wrapped up in religion, but there's a whole other, a whole lot of other things that people have devoted and dedicated their lives. And even some of them in and of themselves may not be bad, but they're not going to bring them salvation from their sins. The one, the only one that can change a person from heading in the wrong direction and get them heading in the right direction is an encounter with Jesus Christ. And as the pastor of this church, it is my heart's cry that what we see here in this church is not just trying to build a membership. It's not just trying to build buildings. It's not just trying to have services that will make you feel good. No, it is my prayer that here at Starkville Church of God, men and women, boys and girls, can have an encounter with Jesus Christ that will change their life forever. After his salvation, Saul, who becomes Paul later, began to preach the gospel in Damascus, the city where he had intended to persecute the followers of Jesus. Isn't it amazing what God can do when he gets a hold of your life? The plans that the enemy has to destroy, the plans that the enemy has to tear down, I still believe that God is able to take, as Joseph had said way back in the Old Testament when confronting his brothers and they got all scared, he said, what you meant to destroy, I know you meant to destroy me. You hated my guts. You wanted me to die. But what you meant for evil, God. God has taken it and turned it around for the good. The very same place that he was on his way to persecute, on his way to beat, on his way to try to stamp out this movement of people that were following this Jesus, he ends up going and preaching and teaching and seeing many converted into the faith. I just need you to hear me this morning and remember that the thing that the enemy has meant for evil, God can still turn it around for your good. Give him praise if you believe it today. Those who heard Paul were astonished at his powerful and effective speaking. And as a result, the same people who he used to conspire with and buddy up with now we're upset with him and we're now making plans to kill him. You see, according to our text here, we find that Paul had become aware that there was a plan to murder him. Now I want to take just a minute and let you see. I want you to see this, that, that, this, that there is a, a bit of a time lapse as we read it. As we read in the book of Acts chapter 9, how many of you know it was Luke that wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what Luke gives us here in chapter 9 is almost kind of a, he, he just kind of flies through it almost uh, because we find here that after many days, in verse 22, he's growing powerful. And then in verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews 
conspired to kill him. And we almost get the sense in chapter 9 we're hit with his conversion on the road to Damascus, and, and then he's here preaching, and they're coming up with this plot. But what we need to understand, I want you to go to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Would you do that? The book of Galatians chapter 1. So I want you to see this for yourself and know it's not just some kind of thing that I'm making up. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 17, we find this. Of course, the apostle Paul is writing here. He said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. So here's so, so look at this with me because this we as I said the way Luke writes here in the book of Acts chapter 9 it almost seems like this is just just a small amount of time. But we find here that before the apostle Paul ever goes into Jerusalem that we've got a 3 year period of time stuck in here. And, and I know y'all've heard me preach this but I keep seeing it and I keep seeing the effects of it over and over and over. So I want to stop here and remind you this, that even Saul, who now is converted and becomes the Apostle Paul, had about three years here in what is called Arabia here around Damascus that he was preaching and teaching and he was learning from those disciples and apostles that had a longer tenure than he did. Because what we've got in this world is a lot of people that just want to rise to the top and rise to faith. Even in the church, people don't want to learn. People don't want to put any time. They want to be put in all these positions, but even the Apostle Paul, the man that knew the Old Testament Scripture, still for three years had a time of learning, had a time of preparation, had a time before he ever showed up on the scene in Jerusalem. And can I encourage somebody here today, and, and I know what it feels like, and you say, I'm just waiting for my time. I'm just waiting for my turn. I believe that there's bigger things and better things and greater things. Can I just tell somebody, just hold Hold on a little while longer because sometimes God in all of us every time needs some time to train, needs some time to mature, needs some time to get us ready for what he's going to do. So we find here in this three-year period that Saul is preaching, teaching, he's learning, he's, he's now, these Jews are, are they're baffled by the same guy who was on their side. I mean, he was like one of their champions. And now he has like flipped the script. And now the very ones he was persecuting, he's on their side. And you read this and you find, you know, the, the apostles and the church folks were just a little bit skeptical about him too, weren't they? I mean, can you blame them? I don't blame them. I mean, they know what this dude had been doing. They had heard stories. Many of them had probably seen how he had locked them up, and there was some skepticism there. But now he finds himself back in this city where he was headed to persecute, and now he is preaching and teaching, and he's come to find out that there is a group of Jews that have determined that they are going to kill this guy named Paul. And he was trapped in the city with no way of escape. Now, 
I don't know all the details here. I've tried to read up and see exactly what it was from some things that I've read. That it was very possible that the Jews and even leaders of the city were in on this. Because how many of you know that, 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 the, that the religious group didn't like the preaching of Jesus and the world didn't like the preaching of Jesus either? Because it's calling them to repentance, calling them to put down their sins, calling we find in one particular instance where, where the old silversmiths that were making money out of all these false gods, they sure didn't like the preaching of Paul that was calling them to holiness and to get away from idolatry. And the, the preaching of the gospel didn't make them happy. So they come up with a plan. And, and their plan obviously was, for some reason, I guess because of fear of the people and the followers, they would not kill him out in the open in the city. But it appears that their plan involved that if they could catch him at the pinch point, how many of y'all ever had to get, get cows together? Uh, and, you know, we used to have to get the cows up and get them in the corral. And, and I was explaining this to Jaden the other day. She was asking about it. And, and uh, you know, you had to, we had this place, uh, the, the run, where we try to get them in. We lure them in there with the food, and they get in there. And then it gets more and more narrow until you could get them in the corral and trap them and get them to the different places where you need to move them around. And so it appears that this, this pinch point, the where they could get him to, they wanted Paul at the gates of the city, maybe so they could just, you know, kill him and stab him and run out in the woods or however they were going to do it. For some reason or another, their plan involved Paul as he would leave the city and go out the gates. That is the place that they would kill him. However, Paul's disciples, after learning of this plan, had come up with a plan of their own to help him escape. We find, according to Scripture, that they took Paul at night. They put him in a basket. They secured the basket with, because this is my sermon, I told you last week, I believe. Scripture doesn't say. It does say there's a basket. doesn't tell us whether it was could have been sheets, could have been robes, could have been chain, could have been, I don't know what it was, but for my sermon, it's going to be rope. Somebody say amen. So they took this basket and they secured it with rope, and at night they lowered Paul down a window in the wall of the city so he did not have to go through the gate and endanger himself of being killed where there were those watching that were looking to kill him. And so Paul was able to escape and continue what God had called him to do of the spreading of the gospel. Now hear this preacher this morning. I find in this several things that we're going to talk about, but one of them right here and right now is this, that you, and you will not die until God is ready for you to go. You see, we know that eventually Paul will die the death of a martyr. We know that eventually, according to history, that Paul will die at the chopping block of Caesar Nero. We know that one day he will lay his head on that block and the axe will come down or the guillotine and it will chop off his head and his life will be taken for the gospel. But at this point in time, God was not ready for him to go because God had a purpose and a plan for Paul, something he needed him 
him to do. So let me just tell you this today. I just have to remember every day of my life that I'm not concerned about tomorrow because as long as God has got something for me to do here on this people planet, I don't have to worry about death because death is not controlled by Satan. Death is not controlled by anybody else. My days are numbered by God Almighty. And yes, I'm going to be smart. And yes, I'm going to try to take care of myself. And I don't want to do anything to try to prematurely end my life. But I'm also not going to walk around in fear because I believe that it is God Almighty who numbers my days. Paul was able to escape because there were people willing to hold the rope for him. So I want us to look this morning in this beginning message of this series of the attitude of those who held the ropes for Paul. If you're taking notes, number one, we find that they held held the rope anonymously. They held the rope anonymously. Now, you can read chapter 9 here, and you will find that, first of all, we don't know any of their names. We're not told their names. That's not like Scripture doesn't tell names. If you've been reading the Bible, if you've read the Bible, you know that you can get into the book of Chronicles, and you can, show sure enough, get bogged down in a whole bunch of names. Somebody say amen. It ain't like the Bible, don't call any names. But in this particular instance, we don't know any of their names. We also don't know anything about them. We're not really told anything at all about them except for they found out that Paul was in danger and they came up with a plan to save him. We don't even know where they came from. We don't know if they were all from Damascus. We don't know if some of them were from Damascus and some were from Jerusalem or other places. Or we don't even know if they were all transplants to the city of Damascus. We don't really know any of that. We don't even know their occupations. Even the Bible for many people tells us about that. We know good and well that Peterman was what? He was a fisherman. We know that, that here at the end of chapter 9, we find that Scripture tells us about Peter staying with a guy in Joppa whose name was Simon, also like his, who was a tanner. We know that in chapter 10, we find a guy, a, a Gentile, whose name was Cornelius, who was a centurion. He was a man over a hundred soldiers. And we know a lot about a whole lot of people. We know Zacchaeus was a tax collector. We know that Paul even was a tent maker in his ministry and would make tents. But these people, these followers of Paul, we know absolutely nothing about, not what their occupation was. What we do know is that they held the ropes for Paul so that the gospel would continue to be spread. I want you to see something. Look with me in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to be careful here because I know different ones listen to this. And, you know, sometimes it gets really interesting. I think people tend to listen to stuff even more. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Jesus speaking here says this, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward 
from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, we live in a day today, and it's, it's not, it's just because Facebook now, but that's not really a, a new thing. Even before Facebook and even before, you know, stuff like that that we have, social media, there's always been those that have felt the need to just kind of toot their own horn. Well, I've done this. I really think a lot of people should know about this. You know, I gave this to this guy over here, or I, I helped out this group over here, and I, I really feel like that more people should know how great I am. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. Don't let me get in the flesh here. But you know what? Hey, I'm, I'm glad those things are getting done, but we read right there in the words of Jesus, you know what has happened when we... When we go for go about it and get the praises of men and all that kind of stuff, you know, you know what our reward is? Exactly what we got. A pat on the back, praises of men. And brothers and sisters, I think y'all know this by now. Let me just tell you, public opinion can change quick. And the same people that pat you on the back one minute might stab you in it the next. And so if you're doing what you do and that's what you're looking for is the praises of men and the applause of men, then you'll get that and it'll be really quick and really swift. But I'm telling you, these people that held the rope for Paul were anonymous, didn't know their name, didn't know their job, didn't know where they were from, didn't know nothing about them. But they held the rope so that the man of God could get out of there because God wasn't done with him yet. And I just need to tell somebody this this morning. You may feel like what you do for God is not seen. You may feel like what you do for God, you're anonymous that nobody even sees it but I'm telling you today that's the best way to be because there is somebody that sees it that sees all and that is God Almighty and I'm telling you when you'll hold the rope when you'll do what God has called you to do and you're not in it to get your name out there and not in it to get a bunch of praise the God who you have served and blessed in secret is the God that will bless you eventually openly for everybody to see it come on give him praise if you believe it Second thing we know about these who held the ropes is that they held the ropes courageously. They held the ropes in the darkest hour of night. Obviously, they're letting him out. I don't know how big the city is. I don't know the layout, a diagram of the city. I'm guessing they probably tried to find a window that was far from the gate because they knew everybody was hanging out there ready to kill him. But, but, but still... Still, there was a sense of danger. It was dark at night. It was the darkest hour of the night, so they wouldn't be seen. When they themselves, they needed rest. What if they said, you know, Paul, man, I love you. I, I appreciate your ministry. I got to get up and go to work in the morning. I just, I can't let you down. When I say let you down, I'm not talking about let you down this point. I'm talking about hold on to the rope and let you down out of the wall. How many times do we do that? You know, Pastor, I don't know. I, I just couldn't make it to church. I'm just, I'm just so tired. It's been a long week. 
long weekend. I just, just, just couldn't, couldn't get to it. But these disciples, in the dark of the night, in the time where they themselves probably wish they were in their bed sawing some logs, at that moment when he needed them the most, it was them that were there and willing to hold on, even though, even though there was danger for them. What if they got caught by that group? What if that group, the group of, of Jews that were looking to take Paul's life, had caught these people aiding and abetting this criminal they called him named Paul? There was danger. You know, we used to sing it a lot, page 57 in the old red back hymnal. Sometimes, you know, it depends on how the, how the song service was going, if you skipped verse 3 or not. Come on, some of y'all older ones know what I'm talking about. Most of the time in Amazing Grace, you'd hit all of them. Some of them were five and six verses, you know, you'd, you'd skip a verse or two of them. Page 57 of the Red in the Back Hymnal, that old song, Amazing Grace, verse 3. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. You know, we've sang that verse, and we have preached about that. I'm about to get real right now, and probably somebody's going to get mad at me, but that's all right. They held the rope. They were there in danger. We sang about it, but we have just been through a season, and I'm not standing up here like I'm all innocent because I'm going to tell you, since March of 2020, it has been a wrestling match of what is the right thing to do with this stupid COVID. We want to endanger everybody. Listen, I did. I did just like most everybody else. We had to shut the church down. You know, we didn't know this virus that we knew nothing about, this virus that had come out of nowhere and now was, was so mysterious that we didn't know. And, and, and here comes the choice. What do we do? And I'm just going to be honest. Personally, I, I don't think we missed the mark at the beginning. I think we were, were being safe. But let's just get real now. How many people, and I know there's people with bad immune systems, and I know there's older people that's, that's more vulnerable to it, and I understand all of that. But listen, I also just can't, because of that, just not even talk about this sometimes. Here we are. We're looking at people that held the ropes courageously in the middle of the night when they could have lost their life. We sing about the toils and the trials and the snares, and we read about how the apostles here in the book of Acts laid down their lives, how every one of the disciples except for John died a martyr's death and yet we go to Kroger Walmart pack out the hump Davis Wade Stadium duty noble field oh the church is a dangerous place to go 
Now, I'm telling you, I, I'm not trying to be because I know how, how, how sensitive this is. And I know there are some people, I, please don't take me because I hate to make blanket statements. And I know that there are exceptions. But honest to goodness, you know, for listen, as a 42-year-old male that has a good immune system, I've had this thing. I'm telling you, for me, it would be foolish and silly and hypocritical if I'll go pack my in a basketball, football, baseball game, grocery store, whatever it is, but say I, I just can't take the chance to go to church and I'm afraid that there have been a lot like that. So here we are in 2022. I don't know. I've heard there's some kind of new variant coming out. Omicron is not that bad, but of course they keep making up variants. But I'm praying and believing that old Omicron is going to be good for us and turn this thing from a pandemic into an endemic and we can just kind of begin to go on. But you listen to me, I guarantee you something else will be coming down the road. The devil wants the church, so the enemy wants. This is all, and I, I didn't intend for this to go right here, but I'm telling you, we, if you don't believe this is setting up for the end times, if you don't believe that, then brothers and sisters, you, you need to get in that Bible and read about the end times a little bit. If you don't think all this vaccine passports and all, read about what some of the European countries are doing and getting ready to do, that you're going to have to have this passport. If you're going to travel and get out of your house and buy and sell and trade, this Bible's been talking, it's been in there a long time talking about the mark of the beast. A mark that the Antichrist, when he comes to power, is going to require. And I know what some are skeptical. They say, oh, are you saying that this COVID vaccine and the passport is that? No, but I will stand here flat-footed and undeniably say it is setting us up for it. Fifteen, ten years ago, we would have never, ever, ever in the United States of America dreamed of, of liberties and freedoms being stifled like they have been by the in the name of some virus. But here we are, and I'm telling you that God is getting us ready, that Jesus Christ is soon to return, and there may come a day, brothers and sisters, where we're asked to courageously hold the rope that we're asked will we be willing to stand up and say I am a Christian I am going to worship him I will not bow my knee to any other God that I am willing to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what it costs me I mean, we just had Hong Yang here back, and in, in Hong Young, I know I always say that right, but I'm a redneck, wrong, I'm a redneck. You don't have to listen to many stories about communist China and how many Christians have given their lives. Oh, God help me. Hold the rope. Somebody say, hold the rope. I got to move forward. I'm going to get in the flesh. What else do we find? Attitude of those that held the ropes for Paul, they held the ropes optimistically. Everybody say optimistically. Now, they did so without exactly knowing the future. You know, i got a feeling, as sometimes the Holy Spirit does for us, sometimes we have a prompting. 
sometimes we just we just sense that God is up to something. But but the, but the clear vision of it all is is not there. And I and I believe that they did this without really knowing the future. They didn't really know what this guy Paul would accomplish. Now they've been around him about three years now. They'd heard him preach. They'd heard him teach. They'd seen his life turn around. But they really didn't know everything that he would accomplish. They had no way of knowing that he would write eventually almost two-thirds of the New Testament. They had no way of knowing that. They didn't know that someday that he would take the gospel after they let him out of that window, that he would someday take the gospel as far away as Rome and Spain. They had no idea what great things God would use Paul to do. But they chose to optimistically hold the rope. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, Eye is not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. You know, I wish I, wish I could stand up here and I wish I could eloquently portray all of the good things that the Lord will bless you with because I believe they're there. I wish I could explain to you, but, but the Bible makes it clear. I hadn't seen it. Ear hadn't heard it. There's no way I could ever stand up here and explain it to you adequately that would do it justice. But please believe me and believe the Scripture when it says the blessings that God has got for you if you'll hold the rope. If you'll be optimistic, somebody. I, I know, I know we read about this, and I know I've already put out there the whole last day thing, and most of the time that gets us all scared to death. But you know what the last day also means? Yeah, it means trouble on earth. Yes, it means seven years of tribulation. Yes, it means an antichrist. But it also means that coming even sooner then is that one that we call Jesus that's going to come riding in the clouds of glory, riding a white horse with the armies of heaven and all of the garbage that we've got going on right here. Here in this world, the Prince of Peace is going to put an end. He's going to put an end to all the wars. He's going to put an end to all the fighting. He's going to put an end to all the hatred. He's going to put an end to all the starvation. He's going to put an end to all the injustice. The Prince of Peace is coming. We used to sing it like this. The King is coming. The King is coming. I'm telling you what today, that we need to be optimistic in holding the rope because as we do, we know that the the king is on his way, and his blessings are for you and me if we'll hold on to the end. Give him praise if you believe it today. Finally, if my musicians and whoever else is coming on up here wants to make their way up here. They held the ropes patiently. They stayed at the task until it was complete. It was late at night. I don't know how big. I don't think Paul is according to what we read about. I don't think he was a real big guy. But still, I mean, still a grown man. And you letting him down in this basket and holding him, and I don't know exactly high, how high the window was that they were at, but obviously it was high enough that he couldn't just crawl out of it. 
And so here they are in the dark of night, and they're holding the rope. Let's just, let's just be honest. I think as they're doing this, maybe even at some moment, somebody might have been saying, hey, is that one of the Roman guards there? Come on, somebody. <laughs> is it somebody walking, walking past the house? Is that, is, that, is that the priests and the Jews looking for us to find out that we're helping Paul here? They didn't get halfway through and hear a noise that scared them and just be like, well, i got to run and let Paul drop the rest of the way. No. They were patient. They held the ropes. And they lowered. And they lowered. They lowered until Paul was finally on the ground safely. We find that those that held the rope, they were patient. They held on until the basket was on the ground and Paul was on his way. They stayed with the task until the task was complete there's a temptation always has been that's why it's in scripture when it tells us be not weary in well doing for in due season you will reap if you do not faint it's always been a temptation it's not something new to the our modern world that People get tired. People get weary. Holding the rope isn't always easy. Holding the rope will wear you out, tire you out. Especially after you get some years on you, some situations. I mean, all of us are so used to it by now. We know one of the one of the main things that even with this Omicron variant people talk about, they're just exhausted. You know, life has a way of doing that. Trials, tribulations, junk that we have to go through, it, it wears us out and it wears us down. And we get tired. And there are points in time where all of us, including this pastor, have been like, you know what, I'm, I'm just about ready to just let this thing go. I'm tired. I've been at this for a while. I need some rest. Remember all those things that we talked about? I ought to be in the bed, right? I ought, I ought to be done with this. Let somebody else do this. But that anonymous, courageous, patient group said, we're not going to let go until the job is done. Let me just tell you that what I believe. I believe that every single one of us, we have a call. We have a job. The Lord has called us to hold the rope. Now, it's going to look different. I know that. I've been doing this long enough that I know. And I've talked to ones that are get a little bit older. 
people that I've pastored, you know, and, and they've told me, Pastor, I wish you could have known me when I was younger. I just had so much life and so much energy, and I, I used to could just do this and do that, but I just don't have it. And I say, listen, you can do now what the younger ones that's got all the energy and the kids and all the business to do can't do as much as we need to. I said, let's pray. See, there's always something that we all can be doing in the kingdom. Now, I know, as, as I said, some get older, and, and sometimes even our own assignments change within the kingdom as needs arise and different things. That's all right. But what I'm telling you is don't you ever let go of the rope. You may get a different grip. You may have to re-grip. You may have to get a different grip. You may have used to have been the Sunday school teacher and all that, but now you're the prayer warrior. Now you're the one that you can't do much, but you can pick up the phone. You can tell that young couple that you're praying for them and thinking about them. And those that are middle-aged, you know, you used to not. You used to be, as I kind of talked a little bit about last week, used to be broke as a convict, but the Lord's blessed you. You got a little bit more. Now you can hold the rope, and your position has now changed. You don't have quite as much time as you used to when you were young, young adult, and had all that time. But now you've got a little bit more finance that you can help with. And there's some young ones that you still broke as a convict, but, you know, you got time on your hands. You got energy on your hands. So I'm not saying it's always going to look the same and you're always going to do the same thing. But what I am saying is please don't let go of the rope. You may have a different grip. You may move it around a little bit and have a different assignment. But listen, until the day that the Lord calls you home, Till the day that we take our final breath of the trumpet sounds and we're raptured out of here. Don't let go of that rope. Your assignment is not over. Stand with me if you will, please. We got a couple more weeks of this. Don't get nervous. And I see what I need to have done. If you take it home, I want to encourage you. You might want to get a little lighter and singe the ends of this because it's fraying here. There's probably a whole other sermon in that, but I'm going to leave that to you. But what I have here is one-foot sections of rope. Over the years, I've done different stuff and every once in a while handed out different things. And I wanted something that it's amazing for you know years after somebody come up to me and, Pastor, I still got... I might want to do it sometime, but I'll tell you, I, I gave out plastic spoons. I preached on stirring up the gift. Gave out plastic spoons. Years later, somebody come up to me and say, Pastor, I still got that plastic spoon in my Bible, and I think about that sermon. So I've got little one-foot pieces of rope. Like I said, you may want to singe the end so it doesn't unravel on you here. But my altar call today is this. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm... I want to hold the rope. I know there's a work to do. There's a kingdom work to do. This is not about building the kingdom of Dennis Laughlin. This is not about building the kingdom of Starkville Church of God or Church of God Cleveland. Tennessee. This is about building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is about there's a kingdom work to do, and in order for that work to be done, somebody's got to hold the rope. Somebody's got to be faithful. Somebody's got to say, I'm willing to do it in many dangers, toils, and snares. So here's my altar call. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm willing, I'm ready. I want to hold the rope. I want to I ask you to just come and take, 
take you a piece of this rope right here and just find a place in this altar. You can kneel, you can stand, you can sit. And I just want to open these altars right now. I want to invite you, come on right now. Would you take a piece? Would you take a piece of this rope and say, Pastor, I'm ready to hold the rope. I know God's got something for me to do. I know God has a work for me to do. I know there's something that I need to be doing for Him. And I want to hold the rope so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forward. Yes, just grab that and, and, and find you a place, kind of spread 